0: for the music this morning, take your Bibles go to Colossians chapter number 1, Colossians chapter number 1, and we'll be reading verses 15 through 18, or actually we'll read down a little further than in verse 18 this morning, we'll read 15 through verse 23, but I'll be speaking to you from 15 through 18 this morning, will be our text. This morning we stand on the edge of some very deep water. As we approach this passage of Scripture, um, and I think there is some wisdom in coming with a bit of trembling to a text like this, of just considering the weight of what it entails. And so we come this morning asking God to give us insight and to give us clarity of thought as we approach it. If You found your place there. Let's begin reading in verse number 18. We'll read down, I'm sorry, verse number 15, rather, and we'll read down through verse number 23 And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy, and blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray together. Father, we once again ask you to add your blessing to the reading of your word this morning. Lord, may we never take it for granted. This morning, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to understand, or give us a willingness to obey what we see, or may we be settled in our hearts this morning, more so on who Christ is and his role in the church and in this world, or may we keep our focus on him and him alone. Holy Spirit of God, do a work in me and through me. Lord, we ask you for strength now, and it's in the precious name of Jesus we ask it amen we saw last few weeks that paul's prayer as he unpacked it for us as he begins to pray for the church of colossi and then by default praying for us as well he's calling out for them to be filled with the knowledge of god's will and he said i want you to be filled with wisdom and understanding And ultimately, what we see here is the core of spiritual growth is being filled with the knowledge of who Christ is, being filled with the knowledge of his purposes and his plans, that as I am filled with who he is, it then translates into the work that we do. We never do what we do in order to become what we should become. It's just the opposite in the natural world that we think, well, if you want to be uh, healthy, then you run so that you can be healthy and or you exercise that you might become something. Just the opposite is the case in the spiritual realm in that we are made saints in Christ, and therefore we live in saintly ways. We are made holy, and so therefore we live out holy living. We're empowered by our nature that has been made new in Christ to live in a way that is in accordance with what Christ has made us. He's called us out. Not only do we have a work, this work was to be pleasing and fruitful and it was wrapped up in the person and the work of Christ. And then we're to have strength, this strength was strength to endure, it's to endure the circumstances of life that go against us and the people of life that annoy us or that wrong us or that get in our way. And the reality of the fact is everybody here, we understand what it is to have circumstances that rattle us. We understand what it is to have financial situations that rattle us. We also understand what it is to have people who are just under our skin. People who do us wrong. Anybody here ever been done wrong by somebody? All right? We've had that happen and we're going to have that happen and yet this gospel is giving us power and the word here is dunamis. It's dynamite power that works through the gospel of Jesus Christ to give me the ability to lay down the wrong, and not hold you accountable for your sin, understanding that Christ has already paid for all of my sins and he's paid for all of your sins, and it's been paid in full. And this is what the power of the gospel does to us. It also tells us that Paul is praying that they would understand the deliverance that they possess. This deliverance was seen through redemption and forgiveness, and it is in Christ. Now, when we would talk with someone or interview people or even volunteers, when we start defining maybe a volunteer role or a staff role, a question might come to the table and say, are we putting too much on their plate? Are we giving them too much to do? How many of you ever felt like you have too much on your plate? Got a few people like that, yeah. Got too much, too many responsibilities, and, and job descriptions defy actually describing the job. Because there always tends to be more things on the plate than what is actually, what actually is written down that we're going to do. And we feel like we have too much on the plate, so maybe you ought to move a few things off the plate. And so if we were to ask the same question, when we come to this, that Christ is going to be all of this to the church, does Christ have too much on his plate? Is this too much to expect of him? I mean, can he really come through in this way? And what we do not know about Christ that should fill us, or what we need to know about Christ should fill us up. It empowers us to endure. It secures us in redemption and forgiveness. But does Christ have the ability and the power and authority to get us where we need to be? Does Christ have somehow or another uh, the, the, the power? Is he, is he really in the right position to make this happen? Or maybe is Christ simply just a created being that is just above us in the order of creation and thus he is only a means to another level of enlightenment. And this is the heresy that was being pushed to the church at Colossae. That Christ was a part of this created world. He was a part of what we see around us and he is is intertwined with it and though by his works he has stepped above us a little bit, he's still a part of this. And so have we put too much on his plate to ask him to redeem us? Have we put too much on his plate to ask him to empower us? Is, Is knowing Christ enough? Is being filled with him enough? Get the idea from their teaching here that somehow or another he was a means to enlightenment. He was a sort of a bottom rung of the ladder. Somehow or another down there on the bottom, but just one step up. And if you want to know Christ, you can grow in enlightenment, but he's not the answer to it. Now we rightly confess this morning that Christ is superior to us. Amen. We we see that. And then we look at the created order and we think, well, what about the angels? I mean, where does he rank with the angels? I mean, is, it, is Christ better than the angels? Is he more than what angels are? is he just maybe equal with the angels? And he used to be an angel. And some would teach us that he was actually a brother with Satan himself. And these kinds of teachings that were swirling today and are still alive today were going on then, and this was where they saw Jesus as just an enlightened being, that maybe he wasn't better than angels. What about above the natural world? I mean, shouldn't we trust science? I mean, do we have science to rest our confidence in? Do we really need Jesus there in this created order that we live in? How secure really is the work of redemption? What about kingdoms that are here on this earth and the hierarchy of those powers that be? And there's not a month goes by that I don't get somebody send me an email or something on Facebook about some other conspiracy. And do you, know, do you know what they're trying to do to us? And fill in the blank. Let me just stop just for one second. Is this seem too loud? Is the mic too loud for you guys? It's not too empty. It seems a little empty on my end, Brother Brad, and it may just be that there's nothing here. I don't know. Maybe the echo I've got upstairs. But if that's what it is, then we'll deal with it. It just seemed a little bit hollow up on this end. So I wanted to make sure it wasn't hurting your ears, Brother Brad. It was painful. So, <laughs> inside joke. Um, so, the, back to the story here, okay? I get the conspiracy theory email, and, you know, they're putting stuff in the air right now to make you think like everybody else thinks, and they got this conspiracy, this group of people is empowering this group, and they're going to merge together, and they're going to take over everything. And I had a guy years ago that would, he would send me emails, and he called me on the phone, hey, you need to log on this website right now. And I remember one day, I was in the middle of studying, and, I, and I, he called me, and I said, Chuck, I love you to death. And I said, I'd do anything in the world for you, but I can't do anything about this. Here's the thing I know about people, and about people with power, is that people with power sinners and sinners do evil things and I'm not going to deny whether that evil men in their plotting and their planning are trying to do evil things and that's all that man has ever done is try to do evil things I have to focus on what I can focus on and that is Jesus Christ crucified risen and coming again that's where my hope rests. well what about these powers pastor what what about the demons What about the hierarchy of demons? And here's the reality this morning. I believe demons are working in this world to deceive and to trip up and to attack. There's no question about that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness of this world, and we wrestle against them. Is Christ enough to conquer them? How secure is this work of redemption that we live in? How can we know that the work he started with his church, he's going to be able to finish that work? especially in light of all that may come against us when we consider our context in the world we live right now look at the confusion of this age is the church going to be able to survive the confusion of the age we live in in 2021 and 2022 doesn't seem like it's going to be any less confusing than 2021 was And we live in a world that is so biased against the truth and even denying the reality of the truth. What hope does the church have in the midst of a a culture who denies the existence of truth? And we find ourselves wrapped up in this and we can almost be overwhelmed and we ask, is Christ sufficient? Look at the moral debauchery of our generation. We're in the name of choice and freedom. We can murder countless million innocent lives in the mother's womb. What a grief that we live in a country who would justify that kind of murder. Grieves my soul from inside of me to think of that, and and, and I look at then around the world, and we see marriage being redefined as marrying whoever you want. And, and make no mistake, this morning, make no mistake, this slippery slope will not stop. It will be expanded. And, and I, I grief, the whole thing grieves me to no end because we see this confusion of the world about men dominating women and we need to stop that and what we've done, we've turned it right back around. And now men become women and they take over women's sports and men become women and they marry five and six women and polygamy is just behind us, just the next thing on the on the list. And you just mark my words, it is coming and we live in this confused world of broken people and yes they need the gospel of Jesus Christ yes they need hope but I honest with you when we consider all the agendas against us it is easy for us sometimes to stand up and say okay I get that Christ was good for a Sunday school flannel graph when I was a kid but is he enough for the church today to mark forward with look at the churches around us that cave to the whims of culture I don't joy in that Grieves my heart when I hear another musician or another pastor deconstructing their faith. Let me say this, I didn't construct my faith in the first place so I can't deconstruct it. He's the one that lifted me out of the miry clay and set me upon a rock and established my goings. We begin to tear apart what we believe and we begin to deny the person and work of Christ and we pick and choose as some kind of pluralistic society that one piece of this will work with another piece of this and we marry it all together to come up with our own hodgepodge and we still want to call it Christianity. Is Christ enough? And we rest in that this morning, but let's look at what the text teaches us about Christ. Christ. What is he saying? Now, if you notice verse number 15, we read it earlier, the first two words, and it answers our question, doesn't it? He is. He is. But the he is's of this text, we're going to use those to outline our thoughts, and there is a few uh, implied he is's in this text. We're just going to walk through them one at a time, and you can mark them in your Bible as you see them appear. But in verse number 15, the first thing I want you to see is, he is, Jesus is, the image of Of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament, and Jesus testifies of this, that God was unseen. He said, Moses, when I came to you, I didn't come in a form. I came to you in a voice, and I spoke to you. And no man has seen God at any time, and no man can look on God because of his glory and his power. And then what do we see in the New Testament? That Jesus stands on the pages of John's gospel, and he tells us, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he comes as being the express, image of Almighty God on display, the word image here literally is the same word we get our word icon from. It comes into this word icon, and when you see the icon on the page or on the screen, you understand that all the power is represented in that little icon. Everything that that program sums up is right behind that icon, and Jesus is the icon. He is the express image of the Godhead in a way that we can see him and perceive him and understand who he is. You want to know the heart of God? Look at Jesus. You want to know his compassion? Look at Jesus. You want to know what his wrath? Look what he suffered on the cross and we see Jesus on display as the very image of God. And some would say, well, hold on a second, Pastor. Man was created in the image of God, was he not? Yes, we were created in his image, but we are not his image. We are not the very image of God. And there is a difference between being created in his image and being the very image of God. Jesus Christ is the expressed image of a holy God. Christ is the expressed image of the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Son, John one eighteen says, no man has seen God at any time. The Son declared him. Jesus, the Son, makes him known. John Edie, in his commentary on this text, uh, commenting on the Greek text behind it, he says, thus the Son of his love is the image of the invisible Father, not a copy of an image distinct from him, yet... So like him, making God in all his glorious fullness apparent to us, showing us in himself and in his word the bright contour and likeness of the invisible Jehovah God. This glory, I love this line and I want you to hear it. This glory is not merely official, but it is also essential, not one, W-O-N, not one, but possessed from eternity. Jesus didn't become God. He always has been God. He always has been the image of the Father. And now we see him on display. He, he is the author and, the, uh, ma- and magnificent of his kingdom and his eternal head. Right, let me read it again. All the grandeur of that redemption of which he is the author and the magnificence of the kingdom which he is the head. Jesus is the express image of God. He is the image of the invisible God. God who was unknowable to us is now knowable through his son. God who is hidden from us in mystery and cloaked in shadow is now revealed through his son. It's impossible for me to read this without including in two other texts that say amen to what we're reading here. And no doubt we could go to many other places. But I got to take you, and and they tell me, they've they've taught me in homiletics, you're not supposed to do too much of this running back and forth in text of scripture because people get bored with it, but I'm going to assume you love the Bible and you're okay with that, all right? Um, All right, amen? So let's look at Hebrews chapter one real quick. Can you turn there with me? Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews is writing to us, and what I, I really would like to do is just read the entire first chapter of Hebrews to you, but I won't do that. I'll leave it for your homework but let's read part of it together. Hebrews chapter number one, if you're there, say amen. Amen. If you're not there, just stare intelligently at the page in front of you. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Oh, but I love this. But in these last days. He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I think we could just say amen and go home after reading that. He is the exact imprint image, imprint of his nature. Turn to John chapter number one now. The book of John chapter number one. Now you read, read the entire chap, first chapter of Hebrews when you go home today and let it meditate on you. He gets into chapter one and very clearly says that he is above the angels. He said, to which angel said he, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee? None. And it sh- there's so many awesome arguments. i got to preach the Colossians, not Hebrews. Maybe we'll preach Hebrews another day. John chapter 1. He says amen to it again. In the beginning was the word. The word here is logos. It's the reason for everything. It was in the Greek arguments that there had to be a base understanding, a power behind everything that is. What is this power? What is this philosophical why of everything? And they said, it's the Logos. And so John takes up their languages and he says, let me tell you about the Logos. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. What is he speaking of? He's speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And again, you could read the rest of the chapter. Now, when we come to Colossians in chapter number one again, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation so we said that he is he is the firstborn of all creation look in verse number 15 again he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation when we see firstborn you said oh got you there pastor see he's born so therefore he's a part of creation And that's the mistake that often we make when we understand, when we take our definitions of words and we infer them into what is being said here in a different culture. The idea of firstborn doesn't always imply an order of birth. It implies an order of rank. That Jesus is ranked above all creation. Why is he firstborn of all creation? Well, he tells us in verse 16, for by him all things were created. You can't be a part of of a creation and then create all things. And this is where translation matters to us. It's where it matters and as a matter of fact, there is a very horrific translation that's not even a translation, it's a twisting of scripture and it's the New World Translation. This is not to throw stones at Jehovah Witness this morning, it is to confront error. And error is wrong regardless of where you find it. And in their translation they would say this, that he is not, Jehovah Witness would say that he is created, Verse number 16, let me just read it. For by him all other things were created. Do you see the the nuance there that's just changed completely? That no longer by him all things were created, but all other things were created. And then if you were to go back to John chapter number 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And we include one little statement that changes the whole thing. Let me make something very clear. He is not a God. He is the God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. All other things weren't created by him. All things were created by him. He is the firstborn of creation. We are not wanting to understand anything about Jesus in creation that he is a part of or dependent upon anything he's created. But he is outside of his creation and he is independent of his creation. He is the uncaused cause. He stepped out on the edge of nothing and he spoke it into existence with his word. He is the firstborn of all creation. What's the scope of this creation? Say, okay, Pastor, so what we have is we have a God. Who created this natural world and he gave us the sun and the moon and the stars and he gave us the plants and all these things down here. But what about the other realms? What about the the demons and the angels and all of those things? Well, let's just read what he says here. Verse number 16. For by him are all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He said, let me just give you the scope of it all. Heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. Jesus is creator. Thus, out of rank and position, he stands uh, with power over all the created realm. And also, clearly, he's refuting the idea that he's not over the angels. He is clearly over everything. Angels, created beings, Jesus is before all of that. And so... Not part of the created order. Look what he says about him. He said it's by him, through him, and for him. Literally what we see here is he's the originator of creation. He started it. It was through him. He's the means of creation. And I love this. He's the destination of creation. Where is this going? Where is this plan going? It's going to Jesus. That's where it's going. That's the whole trajectory of everything that is created is going to him romans eleven thirty five 35-36 echoes this and he says for it's from him and through him and to him are all things And you can jot it down because we see Paul exalting and praising him in Romans 11. And he's saying it's from, it's through, and it's to. This is where we're going. We're going to Christ. No man can hold this title. No angel can claim his role. No power can remove him from his throne. It is to him. That's where creation is heading. And where do we see that in scripture? We see it in Philippians 2.10 when he says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. And he goes into the principalities and powers and all the regions that could bow. Let me make something very clear. Satan will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Every demon will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Every dictator will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the destination of this created order. That's the purpose we're going to. This is what he's looking for. And so we see a fallen world that we live in today that is corrupted by sin and is broken and separated from what God intended it to be all. But one day, even those fallen men will acknowledge that he is Lord. But now, we see verse 17 that he is before all things. What do we mean by before all things? This is the conclusion of the previous argument that tells us of his existence is not dependent upon what he made, but rather all things that exist are apart from him and held together by him. Everything that is is held together by him. By him all things hold together. When we consider this world, we are often too impressed with science. And this is the juxtaposition that we put it. Well, science is over here and faith is over here. Let me make something very clear. No scientist understands more about this created world than the one who created it. He created it. he It was in his mind to form the atom. It was in his mind to form the flower. It was in his mind to hang the stars in the universe and it's his power that holds it together. You want to know why Saturn maintains its orbit? The word of Jesus Christ. You want to know why the moon runs around the earth the way it does? The word of Jesus Christ holds it in balance. You want to know why the sun stays the distance it does from the earth? The word of Jesus Christ holds it together. You want to know why the very atoms of your body do not fly apart? Hard. by him all things hold together he holds them together by the word of his power he holds them in place and nothing can defy his word on the matter robertson says this and i love it the promise of the universe rest then on christ far more than gravity i love that It is a Christocentric universe that you and I live in. Our hearts beat because he wills them to beat. Our minds work because he wills them to work. It is the will of God doing the work. What a grievous thought that billions of people will go about their day tomorrow and never give one thought that it is Christ that holds them together. What a grieving thought. But I'm glad we're not done. He's the first point of creation. But look what he is in verse number 18. He's the head of the body, the church. Now we've been talking about a fallen race of people. Now we're talking about a people who are called out of that fallen race. And Jesus is head over that too. He's in control of this creation. Nothing moves without his will. And he's in control of his church. He's over the church. He's the head. The word head here is supreme chief. Without him, we have no life, and through him, the church has life. He is the life of the church from a fallen, rebellious world. God has called out a people. That word called out, the Greek word that's translated called out is ekklesia, and we translate it in our English Bibles, church. Church. It's a called out people. He's called out of this fallen world a people to himself, and he gives them life so that he may demonstrate to all that was in the realms beyond that was lost in the garden is being restored in the person and work of Christ that Jesus Christ and his redemption is victorious and his Father is worthy of all glory and praise. This is the work he's doing through the church. He is the beginning, he tells us. The firstborn from the dead. Here again, we see the word firstborn. What do we mean that he's the firstborn from the dead? That somehow or another he's the only one to ever be resurrected or he's the first to be resurrected. Now he is the first to resurrect under his own power. But he's not talking about number order. He's talking about, again, rank That he has the authority over the resurrection. He's the first to claim this power over the resurrection. The origin of the church rests upon who Christ is. Rank of creation was seen when we see him the firstborn of creation. And his preexistent power and glory is on display there. But rank in in the church, this firstborn in the church, is seen, or the resurrection rather, is seen in his victorious resurrection that is on display. Why is Christ preeminent? He's the resurrected one. Just as he is the source and sustainer of life and existence in the created world, he is the resurrection in the life in the new creation, which is his church. Now, can you imagine this, a fallen world? They hear about someone who's came back from the dead? I mean, if we hear somebody lost 50 pounds in 30 days, we want to buy their book. How did you do that? And we buy their book, put it on the shelf and don't ever read it, but we still buy their book. Well, there's one that came back from the dead, friend, and nobody else has done that under their own power, and he wrote a book about it. And we have the words of life in our very hands this morning. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the authority over that church, and we stand with that authority, under that authority this morning. As Christ is the firstborn of creation, what does he do? He creates and he holds together. This is what he's doing right now. He's the creator God, and he holds his creation together. As the firstborn from the dead, what does he do? He is resurrecting, and he's reconciling. He's calling a people to himself. This is what he does. Why? What is on display here? What is the end of all of this? Verse number 18 again. That in everything he might be preeminent. That everything in the church ought to be about Christ everything we do. Let me say this morning, when you go to the nursery, what we want to see is Christ preeminent in the nursery. When you go to the children's ministry, we're not interested in entertaining your children. You can take them to Disneyland if you want to. What we want to do is lift up Jesus Christ so they'll hear him preached every Sunday and every Wednesday that Christ would be preeminent in what we do with our children's ministry. When we stand on the stage here, it's not about putting a man on display or putting songs or our ability on display. It's about lifting up Christ and letting Christ be preeminent. When someone stands behind this Pulpit, maybe they always stand underneath the word of God to lift up the name, the only name that is worthy, and that is a preeminent Lord Jesus Christ. We hold him up at everything. That when you walk through the halls, the conversations are Christ preeminent. When you go to a growth group, it's Christ preeminent. When you go to an activity on a teen activity, and we'll play and we'll have fun and we'll throw water balloons. But let Christ be preeminent in everything that we do, let him be preeminent. Ken Hughes and his commentary on this text was so helpful to me when he wrote these words, what should this mean to us? Simply this, that in everything he might have the supremacy. Everything extends his firstness to a wide scope as possibly conceivable and beyond. There is no room For other gods, or pluralism, only Christ is preeminent. He must have first place in everything, in our families, in our marriages, in our professions, in our mission and ministry, in matters of intellect, in time, in love, in conversation, in pleasures, in eating, in play, in athletics, in what we watch, in the art that we enjoy, in the music we produce, in our worship. Let him have first place in all things. Let Christ be first. So... What does this mean? Can the one who holds the universe in place sustain you in trouble? And the one who causes the atom to hold together, secure you by his grace. And the one who commands the stars, empower me to put up with annoying people. I'm not talking about anybody here. Can he empower me in his service? Can the one who conquered death commission his church to preach the truth in 2021? Can the one who conquered death provide power for his church to do the work? Can he perpetuate the church even in the light of a fallen culture? Can the resurrected Lord fill out his job description? And I want to say a hearty, yes, he can. And he will, and he does. We need not this morning, church, cut one verse from the page of Scripture to accommodate a fallen world. We do not need to cut one verse from the page of Scripture to accommodate a fallen world. I don't think you heard me. We don't need to cut one verse from Scripture to accommodate a this fallen world. We stand upon the word of God. There is not power on heaven or earth that can alter his plan. Jesus said his very words about his church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sometime in the late 1700s Adam Duncan was in battle. And in this battle it was a naval battle and in the battle the the, the goal often of the enemy was to hit the lead ship's mast, and if you could hit the mast, you would cripple the ability of that ship to maneuver in the water, and it would do another thing as it would lower its colors, its flag, and if the colors came down, it would signal surrender to the rest of the fleet even, and they would begin to strike their colors or lower their colors down there became a phrase that was used because of a battle that Adam Duncan was in and it was called nail your colors to the mast. And in the midst of a very fierce battle, the mast was struck and the flag came crashing down to the deck and it seemed evident that the other ships in the fleet would begin to surrender and Admiral hollered out for someone to get the colors and get them back up. And Jack Crawford, a young seaman, grabbed the flag and began to climb to the highest part of the ship, and he took a hammer and a nail with him, and he didn't have a rigging to tie it on that could be lifted up and brought down again, but he climbed to the topest piece of that ship he could get, and he took his hammer and his nail, and he nailed the colors of their ship to the mast, and what it did is it kept them from being able to surrender now, because the flag was nailed to the mast. Their colors were nailed to the mast. And this morning what I would say the church needs to do is we need to nail our colors to the mast. We need to climb to the toppest part we can and nail the colors of Jesus Christ. You see, the aim of our enemy has always been to bring down the main sail. and the main sail has always been the, lo- the Lord Jesus Christ. If we lower Christ, we signal defeat. We must nail our colors to the mass. He is our banner of victory. May we climb to the highest point of our homes and nail Jesus Christ and his banner to the mass. May we climb to the highest point of our church and say, Christ, be be preeminent. May we go to the top of our very lives, the very words we say, and say, let Christ be preeminent. Nail our colors to the mast that in all things he might be preeminent. That's what we're called to do, church. And this morning, nothing will assail the church that Christ is not aware of and can't handle. And so we march forward preaching Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word and its sufficiency. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would take what is said this morning and drive it deep into our hearts. Father, do a work that only you can do. What I pray that one who may be here this morning that finds themselves shaken, that Father, they would run to Christ this morning. Father, if one here finds themselves outside of Christ, that, Father, they would run to him this morning. Holy Spirit of God, call us to you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray all these things. Let's stand to our feet.